For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. 706 on CJAD 800. Welcome to today's Entrepreneur, presented by Fuller Landau, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with Fuller Landau's Josh Miller. Josh, hello. Hello. So coming up in studio today, we have uh, Mark Hanna from Lisa. Uh, Mark, welcome to today's Entrepreneur. Good morning, guys. And I want to start, uh, well, first of all, uh, I'd like you to tell me a bit uh, that what Lisa is about, but also explain why you why the first time we met, you gave me a shot. <laughs> what do you, which answer would you like first? Uh, let's let's and begin you, with what is Lisa. Okay, you might have to define the shot afterwards. <laughs> I, I'll help you out with that one. So, uh, Lisa, we're actually—I'd love to say that we're in the business of fun and just leave it at that. Mm. But if you really want to know a little bit more about what we do, we're in the surfacing business. Uh, we're a specialized um, distributor, promoter of branded surfacing material, high-end typically. And uh, now I could get to your what that thing is in your hand. To right my now. shot, which I will sip from yes, right now. Yeah. You're not supposed oh. to sip it, Dan. You're supposed to down it. I am live on the radio, so I have to be a bit appropriate. Oh, right, right, right. So what you just had a sip of, but mind you, you should have downed it. It's called the Lisa <laughs> Hot Shot, which okay. is our uh, company signature shot. And uh, most most businesses don't necessarily have a shot that they, they help to promote their, their wares with. But in the case of our company, we've served about 7,000 of these over the past five years. And so when people see these, they go, oh, Lisa Hot Shots. And so that's an espresso Galliano shot. Hopefully you guys, with the two that you just had, Josh, it's not going to uh, you know, get you too wound up. It's, it's radio. Nobody can really see the size I am, but uh, I, I think I can handle it. Okay. Even though I'm not, you know... I'm significantly smaller. Doesn't mean that I can't handle it as well. But the thing that the thing that I like so much about it is that I will always remember who Mark Hanna is because he gave me a mm-hmm. shot the first time I met him. Isn't that, isn't that a great introduction to to new uh, to new uh, either a business a client perhaps or a new uh, a new business partner? I mean that that to me is great marketing. And how do you differentiate yourself? I mean, yes, there's a product, and you want to have the right quality product. But from a marketing standpoint, what do you want? What do you want people to remember you? How do you want them to remember you? Hopefully, not like you know, a, a, a drunk, but, uh, but, but certainly for fun and certainly for, for class and, uh, and the hot shot because it's also served in a, in a phenomenal and, and unique, uh, ceramic shot glass. I, I think it's great. And, and, you know, let's just quickly talk about marketing. I mean, because Josh, I got to interrupt you there for one second. You know what? I think that little compliment you paid me means that you want another hot shot. It's already working. <laughs> Uh, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't take much to offer another drink I'm in any event. Yeah. Um, so from a marketing aspect, I mean, I, you, you started those a, a few years ago or whenever you started them. What about right at the beginning? Because Lisa's been around for 14 years. 14 years, that's right. So what did you do at the beginning to get your, your name and your product known? Uh, that's, that's a great question. So when we started the business, obviously, uh, we had the, I was in, in another business with, uh, with another, my business partner, Jack McDonald, and, uh, we were in a completely different industry. And, uh, when we had the opportunity to start this business, we had the chance to look at who the players were. So basically it was like business 101 and we had an opportunity to really look and take our time to study the market. And so how we got out there, or what our, what our plan was to really look at who the market leaders were, and I'm not sure if I'm at liberty to mention names on this show, am I? You, as whatever your comfort level you're in. Okay, so, so the, the, the market leader at the time was a company by the name of DuPont, and we were coming to market with this new latest knockoff by Samsung, which was called Staron, and it was to, in the surfacing business, 
and we were coming out with a product that was going to be a, an equivalent, almost dead ringer knockoff to what DuPont had created, but it was Samsung. So our company was the company that was launching it into the Canadian market. And so, not to say too much negative against the, mm -hmm. the, the, the market leader at the time, but they definitely had tactics that were very confident, let's say. And so we basically looked at everything that they were doing uh, in their confidence, let's, let's call mm -hmm. it potential arrogance, let's say, maybe. And we, we formed our company to be exactly the opposite, so that when we, we showed up and presented ourselves to these new prospective customers, we were the new guys on the block, and they were shocked because our approach was so different. So that was the first differentiator. But what, when you say approach, what exactly was that? was that approach? What worked for you right off the bat? Uh, that's, a, that's a good question. So I'd, I'd say that the, um, there's, we basically let our, let our prospective customers make the decisions and the choices that they wanted. So basically run their business their way. So what did we do? We had notepads that said, run your business your way. We had, you know, it's your choice. And I know that's a little, let's say basic in, in approach, but we really put it very clear that this is, and we actually had another tagline comes to mind. Uh, um, uh, something along the lines of that everyone basically gets the same price. I think it was one price list, something mm -hmm. like that. Again, alluding to the fact that our, our competitor that we were getting into the market to compete against had special price lists, secret price lists, you know, hidden price lists. And ours was out there. We said one price list, free freight, uh, you know, make it very simple. And the thing is the offer was so different from the, the, from the competitor at the time no one believed it. So they, we had to actually prove ourselves. And, and we grew the business. Obviously, it's one customer at a time. And uh, today we have, we sell to uh, over almost 800 fabricators. And those are the, the manufacturers of countertops across Canada and also now in the Northeast US. Sorry I, for the long-winded answer. That's okay. I hate to come back to the shot again. But to me, that, that's, that's, uh, it seems to me like it's an effort on your part to sort of distance yourself from the competition in, a, in, an, in a, an industry that is perhaps a little bit too cold. I mean, you're dealing with people's homes, uh, their family environments. So you're trying to warm that up a little bit for, with a product that is both uh, maybe marketed usually a bit coolly and, and literally cool to the touch. Okay, so the, the, the market, in, in terms of creating market demand in this industry, it is heavily influenced by architects and designers. Okay, so the way I'd like to look at our business is it really is fashion. We're fashion, it just so happens that, you know, fashion for some are, are the nice brand names that you wear. Well, I happen to, we, our company happens to sell and promote brand names um, for, your, uh, for your home. And, and it's surfacing in particular. And so the, the world of design, okay, they're very influenced. It's not just the product, it's the aura. It is everything that surrounds the product. And that's why we go back to you know, some of these crazy events that we've done as a company. It's not because we're party animals. I mean, yes, there's, an, there's a propensity to have fun. Okay, fun is a, is a good thing, but we, we are actually, um, we're promoting a unique experience. That's why we have had tattoo parties and you know seven sins events and you know like I was telling you guys before we went on about you know this kind of nudity in the trade show booth. It's it's not shock factor. It's real. It's very authentic, but it is different. And this is the thing that attracts often the the A and D community because they do like a little. They make decisions. There's a lot of options out there, and so we're we're positioning ourselves as the fun company uh, and very real. Very, very down to earth. You, you use the word authentic. 
Yes. Now that that's important because you know when you're thinking marketing, when you're thinking selling, there's there's some negative connotation that can come with that. Um, you say authentic. What are was that a conscious effort? You really just wanted to be real for the customers, for the or potential customers in front of you, and how do you get that across? You know, it, it's very easy for um, our staff to host an event and let's say serve hot shots, okay? Or find a way to tattoo our clients with Lisa all over their body, okay? On body parts that, that normally, you know, the conservative banker or whomever they are may normally say no. But they kind of trust us and we do it. So here comes the authenticity. If I was a, if our company was a long-standing distributor of commodity goods, okay? Mm -hmm. And I'm going to paint a stereotype. You've got the guy in the or woman in a gray suit and gray hair. There's no way they're going to be able to pull that off. So the authenticity is, you know what? Our company has a, a very young spirit to it. Hot shots are part of the identity of Montreal. We really push and promote the Montreal flavor of Lisa. Uh, and, I mean, our American customers love it. The, you know, out west they love it. They love it everywhere. But it has to be real. So you can't pull off, if you tell the guy in the gray suit, and by the way, we do have people that wear gray suits, but mm -hmm. if for the traditional guy that's been working in behind the desk or in the office, and you ask him, you say, okay, we're having a party tonight, it's a seven sins party, and you're going to be serving hot shots, he's going to say, what are you talking about? And if he starts doing it, it's, he's not going to be comfortable. So... More, uh, well, yeah, we'll get back to marketing in a second. Just a quick break for now. Uh, Mark Hanna with us from Lisa. They do services, countertops, and the like. Uh, on today's Entrepreneur 715 right now. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered accountants, and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. 720 on CJAD 800, inspiring stories from outstanding business people. Dan Delmar, along with Fuller Landau's Josh Miller, and our guest this evening is Mark Hanna from Lisa. Uh, they do countertops and other surfaces, and uh, we're talking about uh, some of their interesting marketing techniques. Uh, the shot that the, the coffee shot that, that we were given the first time I, I met Mark, which I think uh, is a sign that I, I won't forget him or Lisa anytime soon, so which is great. But uh, trade shows, another very important aspect to uh, to your brand and certainly the product you're selling. A lot of business gets done there. Uh, tell me about the importance of, of trade shows in your overall marketing strategy. Okay, so I guess when we started the business, trade shows were very important to our company because nobody knew us in within the construction field or... Uh, the uh, builder market, etc., and, and especially Toronto, because that's that was the key market at the time when we opened our business. Trade shows were important, but I find that over the years, um, there's a show for this, there's a show for that, there's a show for something else. And the frustration has been that, uh, and I guess in part because of the declining economy in recent years in the U.S., um, but there's so many shows, okay, and many exhibiting companies have, and they're very expensive. You're dealing with you know, union labor where it costs you more to move your crate from the show door to the floor as it is from Montreal all the way to Chicago, let's say. So crazy, crazy yeah. stuff. Um, but I think that, um, so, so trade shows have been important, but in recent years, we've limited the number of trade shows that we're partaking in. Um, and then the show organizers in recent years, what they've done, because their numbers have been down, they're combining shows, which is very smart. And they're putting a lot of them in Las Vegas because it's a good draw. People always like to go to Las Vegas. And so, for example, this year, uh, we, uh, we just had the uh, National Kitchen Bath Show, which was combined with the International Builder Show. Next year, they're putting another th show with it. So it's, it's, um, it's a declining thing. So where we've, what we've done as a company, 
we'll we'll say okay it's important to market it's important to get your product out there but there are different approaches to it such as market blitzes um, as well as private type events where you can invite guests around the timing of a particular trade show if and the other thing is on trade shows if you're gonna be in a show and not do it right you best not be in that show obviously uh, but but also okay you have to stand out and and kind of what we're, our approach is is no matter what we are what we're doing shall I say we are trying to stand out even if it's meeting with you guys tonight and and that's that's the difference at a trade show I mean you have all the booths it's difficult to stand out you can have different colors different sizes different uh, attractions but you're all basically selling the similar wares uh, so to be different, you gotta you gotta be a little creative, and I, I think that's great. But is it also good? Just quickly before we get to the next break, is it also good to see your competitors all in one space and see what they're doing? Is that a a worthwhile exercise? I actually like it. I love when our competition step up. Uh, one of our competitors this year in Toronto at the, inter the International Design Show in Toronto, they nailed it. They were awesome, and I uh, congratulated them. So I love competition when it's good competition. And uh, when they invest and step up and really uh, showcase themselves, I'm, I'm, I'm proud. I'm proud for them. I'm proud for my industry. Mark Hanna from Lisa, our guest uh, profile tonight on Today's Entrepreneur at 724. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. 727 on today's Entrepreneur. Our guest profile this evening is Mark Hanna from Lisa. They do surfaces, uh, countertops, granite, uh, other materials, uh, things along those lines. And uh, Josh, we're talking about the importance of uh, not only uh, marketing outwardly, but uh, marketing, marketing within one's industry with trade shows and with other, other uh, tools as well. And certainly, I mean, there's so many ideas that can float in any business and entrepreneurs have a constant flow of ideas. Uh, but what keeps them grounded, you know? Do they do they keep all the information internally? Do they look outside? Uh, are there groups, associations? You know, we've heard a number of entrepreneurs on the show, Dan, that have actually linked to certain associations that found it extremely helpful to talk to their peers. Uh, I guess I'm curious, and, and we'll ask Mark, uh, has that worked for you? Have you kind of linked yourself to any your your associations that have helped, and how has it helped you? Well, the uh, it's interesting. We um, we are big supporters. Myself and uh, my business partner were both in EO, which is the Entrepreneurs Organization, formerly YEO. Mm -hmm. Now it would be YPO, WPO, and EO. Um, EO is uh, with. A, if there's anything that I would never drop, it's Entrepreneurs Organization. Uh, there's chapters all around the world, and Montreal has a very strong chapter. Uh, I like EO because I meet on a regular basis with my forum members. I'm also in a forum that's in the U.S. as well, so I'm kind of combined. Um, and we meet uh, regularly, and it's a, it's a place where you can basically not be judged. And, and the key is basically identifying blind spots. So for me, um, being able to go, share, not be judged, it, there's, a, there's a personal side, there's a family side, and there's also the business side. And obviously, it's probably more heavily weighed on the business side. Um, but in terms of uh, experience share amongst peers, it's outstanding. And uh, I, I would say if there's anything I could recommend, it probably is that for any budding entrepreneur to really uh, hook up and, and join EO. Do you get to select? I mean, it's a, it's a fairly large organization. Is are you, you have to get lucky with the group that you're with, or uh, like how does it how does it function? How were you so fortunate to get a group of peers that you can connect with? Well, that's a good good point. Um, I guess uh, since I've been in EO Montreal and it's been about probably at least ten years, 
I've been in two forums, so now I'm in my second forum. So the first forum, for whatever reason, it, it, it evolved and, and we kind of strayed. And, but I stayed within EO Montreal. And then eventually you do find the people that you fit with. So uh, the particular forum that I'm in in Montreal, we are all founders in a, in a business. We, all, uh, we actually call our forum All In. Uh, the reason why we call it All In is because truly we are all in. We are all yeah. invested. Uh, we, we want uh, our, the members in our forum to have started, to have gone through those sleepless nights, sweats, etc., and I think it's it's great to have a sounding board in anything that you do. Yeah. And I know you're, there's a good chunk of your business. You have a big inventory, big costing inventory. When we come back after the news, I think we're going to talk about financing and how you got that off the ground and, and what worked and didn't work for you. Mark Hanna from Lisa, our profile tonight on Today's Entrepreneur at 730. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, Chartered Accountants and Business Advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Welcome back to today's Entrepreneur on CJD 800, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with Fuller Landau's Josh Miller. And our guest this evening is Mark Hanna from Lisa. They make uh, countertops uh, and granite and other surfaces, showers too. Uh, and uh, Josh, we're talking about uh, marketing earlier. Shall we switch to financing? Well, I, I think it's a, it's a huge aspect of the business. And when you're, when you're dealing with uh, really expensive product. I mean, it's it's large services. It's it's pricey. Uh, the beginning must have been quite interesting. I mean, for financing and and with whatever goods are coming in, either from overseas or elsewhere, must have been from a financing, a cash flow management aspect. Uh, the first few years must have been rather uh, well, certainly different than today. Now that you're established, can you maybe explain, Mark, a little bit of the the hurdles or or maybe your your first few dealings with the bank and financing? Yes, absolutely. The early years of business, I think in a, in a business that, that requires inventory, is potentially very stressful. So in the, in the inception of our business, exactly that was the case. So uh, when we started our business, here we're in the business of trying to say, okay, we've got it in stock and the stuff that we're selling is, is expensive. And so the key is you have to have it in, invent in, in inventory. And so... I remember in the early days, we had containers coming from Korea, from Samsung, of our solid surface product to compete with Corian. Stuff is on the water and still don't know how it's going to be paid for. And you're looking at $80,000 US at the time, a lot of money, mm -hmm. um, but I don't know how I'm going to pay for it. And so in the early days, yeah, there were, there were truly some sweats and some sleepless nights. And the reality is when you have the conviction to... Do whatever it is that you're doing. There is a way. There, there's always a way to get, you know, to get that money. And so typically you turn to angels. Our bank, by the way, was not one of the big five or big six or big, actually, probably not the big 20 at the time. <laughs> Who was the bank? Well, I'm, I'm allowed to say this because I'm part Greek, okay? <laughs> so uh, we were dealing with the National Bank of Greece because at the time there was, they were the only institution that would even consider this unproven business, mm -hmm. uh, you know, challenge unproven. And obviously uh, we didn't attract the big boys. And so the National Bank of Greece, I remember having gone in there to the tellers and it was moving as slow as the lineup in Greece when you're waiting to board one boat and or waiting in the port. It was very slow. I'm allowed to say that boys because I'm part Greek. Okay. <laughs> Now, did they understand? Was it how much of a hurdle was it? I mean, you, you're still a new business, a, a business plan, uh, getting things off the ground. You have to kick in funds. There's, there's really ups and downs. There's LCs. Was it was it difficult to manage 
the bank systems? Yes, because let's remember, many banks, uh, there are, shall I say, there are not many banks that will not, that will extend credit unless you've endorsed it somehow. So obviously, on top of the fact that we're dealing with a tier whatever bank that they were at the time, uh, on top of that, there was a lot of co-signing happening. So, I mean, they're still covered. A lot of the banks are covered. Mm -hmm. However, a few years later, after we did prove that our business plan did make sense and the business was viable and we were continuing to grow, we finally hit one of the big boys and uh, we are very loyal to them today. When you're, you, you mentioned before, you know, goods across the water coming in, you're not sure how you're going to pay it. It's an interesting statement in managing the purchasing of the business, managing these slabs, uh, these large, heavy items mm -hmm. that are coming in. Uh, when you look back, I mean, was it difficult? Uh, how was your experience in getting insurance, dealing with the cargo and freight? Uh, had you known this part of it before, or did you really learn along the way? No, it was actually, we learned everything along the way when we were doing the acrylic product, which was the Samsung product. We, every, all of our warehousing, our focus was really on selling at the time. And so our warehousing was 3PL. Panel Pina, they were our warehouse, okay? But when the year, in 2005, when we got into Quartz, by the way, it was quartz there, Dan, not, not, not granite. Sorry about that's, that. It's okay. <laughs> um, when we did get into quartz, that's when we decided uh, we had approached some of the third 3PL guys. No one could handle this big, bulky 700-pound product. When it ships on an A-frame, it's 7,000 pounds. That's when we decided we're going to do our own warehousing. And again, we, we kind of took it step by step. This was Jack's area of responsibility. And we learned how to get into warehousing, so we opened our first warehouse at the time, which was in Montreal, and it's still our where our head office is today. As you look back, and you know, and you're talking about product and and buying from overseas, and all the experience you've had, uh, you know, in the last 14 years. As you look back, is there anything that you would have perhaps done differently or taken a different path of the fork in the road? Yes, uh, absolutely. Um, one of the process, obviously, you you some of your best best learnings are through your mistakes. I'd say some of our overconfidence in the past couple of years, uh, we at, at one point in time, we launched a new product line uh, very aggressively. A lot of inventory, million dollars of inventory. Um, we had a plan, but that plan had some holes in it. And uh, I think in, in, uh, in hindsight, the, we do have a new process in place. We call it our new product implementation process. So very simply, there's there's a set of checks and balances that have to be done before something is 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 introduced and tested. So for for our company, we won't do a massive launch. We will do a small trial launch with every check pre-verified in advance from every department: marketing, sales, credit, uh, HR, if that applies. Mm -hmm. Okay, and then do our market not 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 a market survey because I, I we're not really believers on surveys it's it's really you know for example nowadays when someone's launching a new product they actually put the page out and they just see you know are we getting a reaction here mm -hmm. and so that's kind of our approach now and so we're not going to put uh, a ton of money into it but we will sh shoot with the with the let's say rifle approach but as soon as the there's a bite and there's a fish on the line cannons come out and that's really the the, the new approach and i think it'll mitigate a lot of our risk no, and, and I think it's, you know, for you to adapt and for understand how to do business, I think is huge. It's okay to admit when you've done something wrong as long as you fix it. Absolutely. Going forward and in a longer term. Uh, any any issues with customers? I mean, have you ever had to, 
you know, when you're first starting out, you know, you want to take every customer, you want to take every order, um, but it's certainly not, uh, you, you don't make widgets. You can't just sell them, you know, a dollar at a time. They're big, expensive items. Have you ever had to deal with a, a difficult customer or not take on a customer, Abs- fire a customer? Ab- absolutely. So that, that's, that process is a lot easier now or in recent years as opposed to the early years. So in early years, we were the easy ones. We were the easy date. We're the ones that if uh, if if there's credit, nah, no problem. We we're, were loose on credit. We were loose on shipping. We were free freight. Everything was very easy to deal with. And that was before you were offering shots. And that's well, exactly <laughs> that's this is the only area where we're still relatively loose. We do do the hot <laughs> shots today. Um, but but um, I'd say that in recent years there have been customers that we've fired uh, because we have a firm credit policy. This is another thing that happens as a business evolves is is really tightening on a on a on a credit mm-hmm. policy that that works for everybody. And uh, and so not only is it being credit credit worthy, but there's also respect worthy. Let's say so we have had customers that we generate great profit from that pay on time, but you know what? They're not respectful to our staff or to the respective territory manager. There have been some that we've fired, and uh, and really not to sound tough and you know, but it, it really does make sense because it comes down to. Uh, the the culture of our company it has to fit with our clients it also has to fit with with our suppliers as well do you find that you've gained more respect from your your customers your suppliers your your own people when you deal with these things in a in a more human way absolutely 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 i don't know what more i could say about that but uh <laughs> but it's true the the uh there there has to be an alignment with uh, i mean the, the alignment goes through through our company but it also has to go with with our clients and and uh, and our suppliers and, and i think you know we we've touched on a number of areas between the marketing and finance and and as you've grown the business there's so many other areas the one thing we haven't touched upon yet is human resources and when you're talking about fun and marketing and being different it all really starts with the people and, and the culture, and that's something you have to make of it. And when we come back from the breakdown, we're going to talk about human resources, culture, and we'll bring in Michelin Maillet from, uh, from our office to, to lead that discussion. Sounds good. Mark Hanna in studio from Lisa, our profile this evening on Today's Entrepreneur, 745. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, Chartered Accountants and Business Advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Welcome back, 749 on Today's Entrepreneur, inspiring stories from outstanding business people. And our guest this evening is Mark Hanna from Lisa. We also bring in Micheline Mayet to the conversation. She is a HR specialist with Fuller Landau. Josh, so, uh, let's talk about uh, some of the, the people aspects to Lisa. And, and one, of the, one of the interesting uh, things or items that I noted with Mark uh, off-air was how they hire people and what their processes are. But I'd love everybody to hear this before we get to Michelin because uh, it's really interesting and a little bit different. So, Mark, when you're when you're looking to hire somebody, what do you look for first? What are you really testing for? Well, and I think in the end, I'm wanting the cultural fit. In the end, that that's an absolute must. Uh, but before it, their capabilities, you're saying. Okay. Before their competency well, level. It, okay, so obviously getting to know, after sifting through all the CVs, we try and zero in on someone that looks like they may be a fit. Fit is key. And so it's aptitude tests. We always do aptitude tests, standard ones, just to establish a baseline. And then as uh, a candidate, let's say, nears the end process, then then we do psychometric testing. Now, I know it sounds kind of crazy. In the end, we're 100% convinced that uh, cultural fit will trump everything. So if all things being equal, uh, we would prefer hire, hire for cultural fit as opposed to competence. You could train competence. And I'm not saying incompetent, right. but 
the cultural fit is key. So, Micheline, when when you're when you're dealing with hiring policies and all that, how much should culture fit in, and how much, uh, you know, does competence, of course, the basic, have to play a role, but maybe not so much. Yeah, definitely, cultural fit is super super important because it really, you know, that's what's going to say whether somebody's actually going to work or not within the company, whether it's going to actually work out. A lot of people call it the fit. And it's very intangible because it's very diff difficult obviously, for companies to say what is a good fit, actually put words down to it. But it is possible to do it if you actually spend some time thinking about it. Um, often in recruitment, for example, I mean, you really have to look what is the company culture? What is, you know, you talk about the mission, values and goals of the company, but really who, who am I as a company? What's my identity? What's important for us? What message do we want, you know, to give to the employees and to our clients and to society at large? Um, and really, it comes down right from the from the top and trickles down to the bottom. Do you have to? So does that mean when you're doing an interview, it's really planning the right questions to see if they'll kind of answer them properly to see how they'll fit? A hundred percent. I mean, a lot of recruitment, a lot of people just like to go in and wing it. But I find having a structured recruitment process, this is what means you're going into the interview to really see what is a good fit with the company. Um, for example, you'll have people maybe who prefer working in highly structured environments where there's a lot of formal processes in place. So maybe they'll work well in a very high quality driven company, whereas other people um, you know, will enjoy working where there's less rules maybe in more of an entrepreneurial environment where it's more of a get it done philosophy. So you could kind of you know, build your questions around that, but often just in talking to the person, even about their past experiences, like what jobs did you like? Which jobs did you hate? And if the ones that they hated mm -hmm. resemble your company or maybe some of, you know, the issues that you have, then you'll know maybe it's not a great fit. I guess equally important is who's conducting the interview from the company side. Are they, are they able to read the individual in front of them? Are they able to gauge the questions and move on from there? Uh, and I don't know, in your, in your company market, Lisa, you know, there's specific people that do the hiring questions. You do it internally. Do you do it externally? It's done. It's done internally. We have an HR manager, and uh, but it's also done in conjunction with the hiring manager, because it's great if you're the, my if you're the HR manager and you say, okay, guess what? I've got someone for you. But I'm and if I'm if this person's going to report to me, <laughs> I have to have a say in this matter also. So the hiring manager is also involved with that. Uh, the other thing is core values. Company core values do play a role. Uh, and so this is something that we bring up very early in the, in the interview process just to kind of say, okay, look, this is where we're at. And we also get a feel for them, whether these people even identify with them. More on HR after the break. Also, Mark Hanna's one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur. That's next. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, Chartered Accountants and Business Advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. 7.56, remaining moments on today's Entrepreneur. Our guests are Mark Hanna from Lisa and Michelin Mayette is also here talking HR from Florlando, Josh. And, you know, we're talking about corporate culture. Um, but it's not always, it doesn't always start, you know, automatically. It's not snap of a finger. How do, you know, do, can companies have in a bit of a corporate culture identity crisis? And, and how do you really get them or get a corporate culture in place so that everybody understands? Yeah, it can definitely be an issue. I think a lot of the times it comes naturally. It could be maybe the personality of the owner, especially in a more entrepreneurial company. Um, the identity of the company sometimes can even come down from the marketing of the company. How they market themselves can help kind of decide what the company culture is going to be like. Um, one of the issues is sometimes companies want to create almost a false culture because they want their culture to be around what they feel they should be. 
and that can cause problems. It's not just because, you know, one day you think or your culture should be around creativity that everybody's going to be super creative the next day. So often they'll come up with a great catchphrase, like, you know, using creativity towards excellence or something, but it doesn't mean the next day everybody's going to be super creative. It really um, takes a concentrated effort. And if at the top, the owner's not, you know, embracing this and the management's not embracing that, it'll never get down to the employees. Because it really, I mean, you have to be looking at what policies are going to make people creative, what uh, compensation type of compensation how do we compensate people to make sure they're creative how do we reward creativity so it's a lot more than just saying that we're creative no and if you just pluck something out of the air it could create confusion could actually have the negative effect because people yeah. really won't understand won't identify and if there's conflicting information and actions uh you're not necessarily going to have a, a happy a happy team for for your culture mark and mm -hmm. lisa how did you create it? Is it from the well, top? Well, I think it's, it no, it's it's an evolution, and you say from the top. It's funny because our organogram is actually inverted, so ours is upside down. So ours really is one of support, and uh, and that's that's the way we've st we've structured our company. Uh, but it it ha it's it's an evolution. So there was a point in time where I guess some people couldn't identify. So we went through the process and team building, and and then we eventually. Uh, um, built a constitution, let's say, so to speak, which which in which formed our culture, and and then that's that's just part of the natural evolution of of the business. And I I think cor I think the takeaway or the understanding is corporate culture does not happen overnight, and it takes a group of people to really feed the other group of people and let that grow. And uh, and I think with that in mind, we'll turn as our last moment of today's entrepreneur, we'll turn to uh, to Mark and say, and ask him. Uh, over the life of his uh, his entrepreneurial spirit and, and what he's been through, what one piece of advice would you give to today's entrepreneur? It's all the team. And we really haven't talked much about it, but in terms of culture, it really does come down to the team. And uh, I'm just one person in our business, and there are about 50 other people that work for Lisa, and they all are flag wavers. And so to me, it really comes down to our staff, and those are the ones that are the one. And they they have to be the one when it comes to promoting what we do. And as you're trying to be different and really, you know, from your com from your competition and creating a fun atmosphere, it does come down to the people because if they can't display that for everybody else that's looking in, well, then what use is of, it, of it is it? And, and I think that's my little takeaway is, you know, you've created this atmosphere of fun. And some people say, well, where is fun in the workplace? Is it really worth it? But the reality is if people are enjoying and having fun at what they're doing, then it might not necessarily feel like work. And then they'll have a little bit more fun and give a little bit more. And it's a, it's a vicious circle in a great way. So I think that's the, you, you've, you've been exemplary from that aspect. Thank you very much. Thanks, Micheline, for talking HR. And to Mark Hanna from Lisa, a very interesting story. Interesting marketing, too. Mark, thanks for stopping by tonight. Thank you very much, guys. Thank you, Micheline. And Josh, we'll talk next Monday at 7 for another Entrepreneur Profile. Absolutely.